The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight on Winning Ponies. From our studio this week in Port Charlotte, Florida, where it's 80 degrees and sunny. What a week in racing we've had and will have. Uh, this Sunday, it's the Fazig Tipton Fountain of Youth, and the field of eight features what many handicappers feel are the top two three-year-olds on the Derby Trail in union rags and algorithms. So in the undefeated discreet dancer is in there, so you throw him in, and you have got a race made in heaven. Well, way down yonder in New Orleans, they not only had the Mardi Gras Tuesday, but on Saturday, they're going to feature the Louisiana Derby Preview Day with six stakes races and two of them that could very well have a bearing on the Derby and the Kentucky Oaks, that being the Rachel Alexandra and the Risen Star. Uh, and out west, we've got two of the fastest horses in training. They're going to square off in the San Carlos with Breeders' Cup winner Amma Zombie and Baffert trained The Factor. What a matchup that's going to be. And uh, helping us to break those races down uh, later in the show is Jason Chandler. Uh, you'll see him on uh, the Blood Horse uh, website quite often and read his stories. Uh, he's going to be uh, on with us doing the handicapping portion. In our first segment, our guest is a gentleman by the name of Milton Toby. Uh, some old-timers will remember him from his early equine photographer, and other people remember him as not only an author but an attorney in the Lexington area. He's worn a lot of hats, and it's going to be a very uh, interesting uh, interview, to say the least. Um, now, speaking of Jason, who's associated with the Blood Horse magazine, uh, earlier today I had a chance to talk to uh, Ann Kehoe, Eberhardt, you've probably seen her work uh, with her photography, and she has a slideshow up on bloodhorse.com, and in the slideshow, you will see Rachel Alexandra and her curling coat romping in the paddock. I had a chance to uh, to speak with Ann, and she said uh, that they are as happy and as healthy as they look in the photos. So uh, the good news there that Rachel and her curl and colt are back. All right, speaking of somebody being back, Arve de Grasse, the 2011 Horse of the Year, will make her first start on St. Patrick's Day. It'll be in the Grade 3 $150,000 Azari Stakes at Oak Lawn Park. Uh, it has been confirmed by the owner Rick Porter and Larry Jones. Um, the way they looked at this was she was under consideration for the $100,000 New Orleans Ladies Handicap uh, at the fairgrounds where she's currently training. Um, but 
for the conditions of the race, uh, the race in New Orleans was a handicap, and she could have picked up a lot of pounds considering that she's the champion. So uh, the fact that she was going to pick up weight, uh, they thought that uh, it might be better to go to Oaklawn where she's had great success. And, uh, of course, the same team has a joyful victory for the New Orleans ladies. And uh, so that's probably what they're going to do. Obviously, anything can change, but uh, they just didn't feel like giving 10 or 11 pounds to somebody if they didn't have to do it. So uh, she will... Uh, begin her 2012 campaign just like she did her 2011 with a start at Oaklawn. Uh, you may recall that uh, she won the Azari last year and then went on to win the Apple Blossom at Oaklawn too. Uh, Ramon Dominguez, a regular rider, will have the mount where Robbie Alvarado is going to have joyful victory way down yonder in New Orleans. Well, we've got another champion that's uh, returning to the races. Uh, more than three months after winning the Breeders' Cup Ladies Classic and locking up champion three-year-old Philly honors, Royal Delta will begin her 2012 season in the $100,000 Sabine Stakes. It's a grade three, and that is going to be Saturday at Gulfstream Park. Uh, you may recall that she was sold after the Breeders' Cup for $8.5 million just four days after her awesome win uh, in, in the Breeders' Cup. And they decided to keep her in training and decided to keep her with trainer Bill Mott. He's worked her six times now since uh, they came down to South Florida. And I believe the plans are for for this start in in the the saving. And then if she comes out of it well, on for $10 million at Dubai. Um, It's going to be kind of a short field facing her, but I can certainly understand why a lot of mind ducking her. Well, obviously later in the show, we're going to be uh, looking at two top races uh, that could factor into this year's Kentucky Derby in the Fountain of Youth and the Risen Star. But on Monday, because it was a holiday, there were two races at Oaklawn Park. So many three-year-olds showed up for the Southwest that they actually had to split the race, which is uh, a great thing uh, to happen in this day and age that you've got such full field. So they actually had to split the race. And uh, once again, the killer bees swarmed into town. That's right. The uh, killer bees, Rafael Bayarano and Bob Baffert, came into town and took both ends of the Southwest. Now, the first division was won by uh, Castaway, uh, doesn't quite have the, the, the same experience as a stablemate, but uh, he is the son of Kentucky Derby Street Fence, and out of a Stormcat mare, <clears throat> we commented last week how many progeny of Stormcat, both top and bottom, uh, have been doing so well in the three-year-old race. As a matter of fact, they swept the stakes card that we featured last week on winningponies.com. Uh, Rafael Bayarano was in the saddle. Um, Castaway kind of came from off the pace, uh, took a slight advantage through the stretch, and stopped the timer in 138 for the two-turn mile. So that was uh, the Castaway's division of the Southwest. Um, and then the, the, the second half uh, was really uh, pr- pretty awesome, and it was uh, actually run a full second faster than the first half. And that was uh, Secret Circle 
Calfield's scat man in the stretch uh, and to, to win it. So Baffert and uh, Rafael Bayarano win both ends. Uh, Scatman and uh, Luis Quinones, they led through a very quick pace for the first half mile. And then Bayarano and Secret Circle came up and took those two dueling to the wire with Secret Circle getting up to win by a half length. But comments from Bayarano after that race said that the horse really surprised him and he finished up very strong. So another uh, horse with the Pegram's silks on and Baffert doing it. Uh, he's now on uh, four or five career starts uh, with a second in the grade three sham race. So Secret Circle's looking pretty good. He's got $170,000 in graded stakes earnings. Of course, you need graded stakes earnings to get into uh, the uh, Kentucky Derby. That's all that counts. So he's right now 13th on the list and, and, and looks pretty Pretty, pretty good. Now, uh, another three-year-old that was on the scene last week, and we looked at this race, uh, and it was uh, Thrill. He had four disappointing efforts uh, coming in uh, to the San Vincente Stakes, but uh, he got up by a desperate nose over American Act. Um, creative Cause, who was the heavy favorite in there, finished third. He, he was odds-on to win that race. Now, uh, you know, Bob Baffert, he's just all over the place. He's, he's winning everything. But, you know, he, he's a sharp guy. Uh, you, you see what he did last year uh, with the factor when he realized that the factor was probably not going to be getting a distance. You know, he tried the factor in the uh, Arkansas Derby where he pressed the pace and, and faded back to seventh. So he turns around and assesses it and says, look, we're not going to get derby fever and get crazy. Let's back this up a little bit and see if this horse isn't better at shorter distances. And, of course, is now a grade one winner uh, at the distance of seven furlongs. That's the factor. So I, I guess, uh, you know, he's, he's looking at drill as being very similar to that horse. Obviously, everybody wants to get derby dreams at, at this time of year, but uh, it looks like he is going to back off with drill a day after the race. He says, I don't think you're going to see him going around two turns. He says, I'm going to nominate him to every one-turn race that we have in North America uh, just to see what he can do. So I think a very wise decision on Baffert's uh, part. But uh, on the other hand, he's got a barn full of them uh, between uh, him and Pletcher. It'll be interesting to see how many entries actually go into the derby field. Some uh, kind of sad news on the uh, breeding side of things. Uh, Royal Academy died this week. Of course, he was 25 years old, and, and he, had, he had been pensioned. Uh, he died down at Coolmore, Australia. Uh, you may recall that uh, he was one of the big, big uh, yearling horses back in the day, uh, 23 years ago. Vincent O'Brien bid $3.5 million in 1988, the July Select Sale. So, uh, you know, he took a big gamble, but it turned out this horse has had a huge impact and, of course, he is a direct descendant of the, the outstanding Nijinsky. And what's interesting is Nijinsky sired so many horses that went long, of course, and did well on the grass that uh, he, this horse had a little bit more speed, Royal Academy. Uh, he did sire 160 uh, stakes winners, um, and he also was a direct descendant of the female side of Stormcat. So he was a very sound investment for uh, classic thoroughbreds. 
and uh, starting his career at Coolmore. He stood both at Coolmore America, uh, Coolmore Ireland, and Coolmore in Australia. All right, uh, let's take a uh, look at the races that we handicapped last week with my good friend John McDoolan from the Daily Racing Forum. The first one, what a finish. We went out to a place we don't go a lot, and that was Golden Gate Fields. And this was, again, a place for people to get graded stakes money. And oddly enough, Julian Leparu, who has them out on Union Rags, it could be the favorite after the founding youth, he went all the way out there to ride Daddy Knows Best, and he got his nose up at the wire. Over the horse that was ridden by another East Coast-based jock, Alan Garcia came in to ride Lucky Chappie. So uh, it was Daddy's Nose Best at 4-1, to one, uh, getting up over Lucky Chappie. Now, Lucky Chappie, of course, is this horse that was bred in Ireland, uh, ran in the Breeders' Cup turf, was shopping for his first North American win, didn't get it. And he's trained by Graham Motion, of course, who won the Derby last year. And plans are now, I guess, for Lucky Chappie, they're saying that he may be going over to the, the Derby in Dubai. So maybe he'll have better luck on the other side of the pond. But nonetheless, Daddy Knows Best, trained by Steve Asmussen, uh, son of Scat Daddy, one of the leading sires. He was blocked at the quarter pole. Lay Peru got him through. I guess he was just kind of banking his bet that, God forbid, something should happen to, to Union Rags. Uh, he's going to have another mount somewhere. It'll be very interesting to see where he ends up. Uh, we talked about uh, Ella Fitzgerald, the horse named after Ella Fitz in the Santa Maria, and uh, she got the job done. That's the, the horse that I love because she loves the distance of a mile on the 16th. She has four of her five lifetime victories there. She uh, went off at four to five, and uh, Martin Garcia gave just a beautiful ride. Uh, wire to wire. Uh, it was very interesting race. I was challenged not once, not twice, but three times during the race. So Ella Fitz stayed on top. Uh, it was a dead heat uh, for a second between Miss Mittagong and Vision in Gold. We went to Laurel Park and uh, took a look at the Barbara Fritchie handicap for Phillies and Mares. It was upset time in there. Uh, Nicole H. was the odds-on favorite didn't get the job done. Looked like she was going to. She had the lead by three coming into the lane. But magical feeling going four wide. Got up at 27 to 1 for the upset over Nicole H. and CC's pal. And we rounded out our handicapping with force freeze. That's right. Going seven furlongs in the Gulfstream Park sprint. Force freeze at four to five. One by three and three quarter lengths. This seven-year-old Gelding is going to be around for a while, and we're going to get to watch him all season long. That pretty much wraps up the uh, news of the nation. Coming up next, we're going to get to talk to a real Renaissance man in thoroughbred racing. His name is Milton C. Toby. We're looking forward to talking to him. Stay tuned to WinningPonies.com. flagship station for sports voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com 
the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Tune in to a show about making a comeback and what really goes on behind the scenes with your favorite athletes and beyond. Listen for The Comeback Radio Show with Tony Farmer. A lot of people believe what they read on the Internet, hear and see in the media, and on the news. We're going to give our guests the chance to tell the real story without the extra hype. It's not just sports, although that will be a focal point of the program. We'll also look at the world of celebrities, music, modeling, and more. Listen every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. All right, and back with me is a very interesting uh, individual, and his name is Milton Toby. Now, I first uh, got notice of Milton Toby years ago, uh, back in the day when I was a fledgling photographer, and I'd look down the track, and the three big hitters, Murderer's Row, was Tony Leonard, Bill Strauss, and Milton Toby. And um, Milton was taking photos for the Blood Horse, so he, he, he seen a lot, of, a lot of great racing. But he also... It was an outstanding photographer. Um, and what I, I just kind of wondered what happened. All of a sudden, he just kind of disappeared from the face of the earth. Well, he almost did literally. I mean, he was everywhere. He was in England, Panama, Japan, uh, China, Costa Rica, Colombia. One of his clients was even Soldier of Fortune magazine. Uh, but since then, um, he's uh, got his law degree. He's a practicing attorney in Georgetown, just outside of Lexington, Kentucky. Um, and he, he's an author. And um, one of his books, of course, is uh, we're going to discuss here tonight is going to be on the dancer's image, a horse that ended up winning the Derby but with kind of a black eye. Milt, how you doing, my friend? I'm good, John. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, I'm very, very happy to have you. Can let me just kind of figure. I mean, your career's taken so many twists and turns. How did you first, if I may ask, land the job with the Blood Horse? My first job out of college was actually for a very small newspaper in Aiken, South Carolina. I was a sports editor for a year, and that was a very important winter thoroughbred training area. And I got tired of writing about ladies softball and bowlers, and I applied for a job at the Blood Horse. Well, obviously it worked. Now, how many years were you in the trenches uh, down there with the guys along the rail at the, the Triple Crown races? I was at the Blood Horse from Secretariat year in 73 up through 1984. And then I continued a, to do some freelancing for them after that for a while. That, that, was, a, that was a great stint. I mean, you, you were there during, you know, some of, some of the best highs of thoroughbred racing. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Uh, can, can you reflect back to maybe a favorite race, a favorite horse, uh, something that kind of sticks with you today? 
favorite horse was, was Ruffian by a long shot. She was, was my favorite. In fact, she was the subject of a, a book I did for Eclipse Press, part of their Legend series. So she, she was the, the high point and also the low point of my involvement in racing. Uh, I have to ask you, were you there there the day of her match race? I was. Wow, that had to be tough. I remember watching it on TV. Yeah, it, it was awful. And I don't think racing has ever recovered from it. Well, um, certainly, though, it had to be kind of special with you. I remember the Legend series. It was fantastic. They were kind of smaller books, rather easy to read, but they selected a variety of different authors to, to address those champions. But they did. It was an interesting series. It was, it was a fun book to do. Now, now, now tell me, how did, what, what brought you, uh, I mean, when, did you, when you left the broad horse and then all of a sudden I start seeing all these places in the world, you, you were, uh, explain to me, you know, you, you're leaving racing and you kind of going out on your own. Uh, I wound up actually spending six years overseas doing freelance news photography. It was something I'd been wanting to do for quite a while. And I spent two years in China, two years in Costa Rica, and two years in Colombia. But I also stayed involved with racing sort of peripherally during the whole time. I, I did freelance writing for the Blood Horse about racing in, in Hong Kong and Thailand and Manila while I was in Asia and in uh, several places in Latin America. So I, I was out of the, the mainstream, but I was still keeping my, me and my feet wet. <laughs> well, obviously you have. You kind of went full circle. Now, what was the call back to Kentucky for you? It, it involved getting shot at in Colombia. That was one of the, the big issues. I, I was working for Soldier of Fortune. That was the assignment. I, I was traveling with uh, anti-narcotics agents along the Colombian-Ecuador border, and we were getting shot at every night. Oh, my God. And I'd been wanting to go to law school, and it seemed like a good time to come back. So uh, where did you go to law school, and, and did you did you figure that you'd focus on the equine industry? I, I went to law school at the University of Kentucky, which is where I'd gotten my undergraduate degree you know, quite a few years earlier. And I was interested in equine law, but I actually wound up spending the bulk of my time representing guys on death row. You are a kid. That's, that's unbelievable. Uh, did, you, did you get any of them off uh, from death row, or what, what was that like? Uh, it, it, we did not win any of them the cases for my four clients. It was a, a fascinating group of people, though, to, to meet. You know, of, the, of the clients, you could set them down in a, a group of people and you'd never pick them out. They were people who were in the, the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, un- unbelievable. Well, I, I know now that you're uh, kind of moved into, into the equine business. Um, what, what are some of the things some of the legal, I mean, you're in the right place, you're right there near Lexington. What are some of the pitfalls you see people getting into legally when they decide to get into the business or get into partnerships? I, I think the biggest issue involves the traditions of the horse business. It's always been conducted on a handshake. And for a while, that probably worked because you had a very small group of sportsmen and everybody knew each other. The, the business has expanded so much, it's become more of a business, and people still aren't using written contracts. And a written contract solves just a, a, an incredible number of problems, and people still don't use them. 
it isn't just partnerships. And in any transaction in racing needs to have a written contract, and so few of them do. Even to this day, huh? Exactly. It's still a handshake game. So what you're telling our listeners are if they do love this game so much and they get six and they decide to go in on a horse, make sure everything's in writing. My, my rule of thumb for anybody is that if, if the result of a deal matters to you, you need to get it in writing. <laughs> no doubt about that. Well, uh, let's, let's move on because obviously, I mean, it, it's kind of neat that you could kind of, even though you went away from the game, you, you always kind of kept your hand in it. And then you come back and, and, and become an attorney uh, involved in the equine industry, but yet you, you find your love of the game bringing you back to kind of a controversial horse like Dancer's Image. Uh, the name of the book is Dancer's Image, The Forgotten Story of the 1968 Kentucky Derby. What was the lure that hooked you into this story of all of them? The, the 68 Derby was the first one I ever attended in person while I was a freshman at Center College. And I was fascinated with it ever since. When I started at the Blood Horse, the case was still going along. Kent Hollingsworth, who was the editor at the time, was also an attorney, and he did a lot of very good coverage on the the legal aspects of the case. And I, I just stayed interested. Then when I went to law school and continued writing, it seemed like a good way to bring everything together. It was a project I'd been interested in for a very long time. Well, kind of, uh, you know, some of our audience are kind of young and weren't even around in 1968. Uh, obviously, uh, you, you need to kind of tease the book for them and, and tell them a little bit about, about Dancer's Image. The one thing I found in reading one of the expert excerpts is I had no idea that Bobby Ussery blew his whip in the lane. No one did. No one did at all. It was a really interesting situation. You had Peter Fuller, who owned Dancer's Image, Coming down from Boston, it was his first horse in the Derby. And then you had Calumet Farm, the one of the richest traditions in the game. And Calumet Farm's forward pass was the first choice. Dancer's Image was the second choice. You know, Dancer's Image was dead last for a half mile, and then us three got him rolling. You know, he, he won by a length and a half. And for a couple of days, you know, Peter Fuller and his, his entourage were just in heaven. And then they announced there had been a positive drug test for, for butazolidin, which was illegal in Kentucky for racing at the time. And it was a zero-tolerance policy, so even a, a tiny amount was enough to get him his number down. You know, and it, it's hard to believe that he was taken down for butazolidin, where in this day and age, if that's all he had in the system, he'd be called a hero. Exactly, and that was one of the issues at the time. Because there was a zero-tolerance policy, there was no testing to determine the concentration of the, the drug in his system, if it was there at all. There was even a question about that. So it was, it was very controversial, and, and it didn't end after the, the race. It, the legal wranglings went on for five years before you know, finally a, a court decided that forward pass was the winner. Now, uh, in reading your book, do we, do we start with the Derby, or do you do the lead-up? And, and where does the book take you towards the end? The... Uh, the lead-up in, in the book is the, hor the horse's racing as a two-year-old. He was a homebred for Peter Fuller. Peter offered him for sale and decided that he wanted to keep him. The horse was the son of Native Dancer who had you know, a lot of serious ankle problems, and Dancer's image inherited them. He had ankle problems all, throughout all the time he raced. And Lou Cavalaris Jr. did an amazing job of keeping him sound. 
you know, he raced 14 or 15 times as a two-year-old, which is, is unheard of for a horse with bad ankles. He didn't really come into his own until a couple of races before the Derby. He won a $100,000 race in Maryland, then he won the Wood, then he won the Derby a second choice. And then really the last half of the book is trying to make sense of all the legal wranglings to, for people who aren't attorneys, who don't want to read 4,000 pages of, of sworn testimony, which <laughs> I did. And the idea is to sort of make the whole story whole. Nobody had ever written the, the complete story of the 68 Derby before. And it was, it was an exciting thing to do, but it was tough to even find the records. You know, a lot of the records are just gone. Well, uh, you've piqued a lot of people's interest, I'm sure. Milt, uh, for people that want to want, want to get the book, should they go to your website? Is there, is there a best place to go to, to obtain this? Uh, the, the website, I can... We'll, be happy to send out a you know a signed copy personalized if anybody wants it. The, the website is www.miltoncetoby.com. That's the, the the best place to get it. Now, um, you, you're still, a, in my opinion, relatively uh, young man. Uh, Bless you. <laughs> where is where is the next step of life going to go? What, what what is it? Do you have do you have another project set up, or what, what's what's in the works for for Mel Toby? Actually, what I'm doing right now the the Dancer's Image book was published by uh, the History Press in South Carolina, and I have another project for them. It, it involves a, a horse named Noor, who was a champion in California in 1950. Yeah, didn't home. they just uh, displace his remains and move him to either old friends? I think maybe. That's the story. After Noor died, he was buried in the infield of Loma Rica Racetrack and was forgotten. Nobody knew where he was. And there were plans to sell the farm and develop it. And a wonderful woman out there named Charlotte Farmer decided that it, it was awful and a disgrace to pave over Noor's grave. So she spent years raising money to, to locate him, dig him up, and transport him to old friends, a retirement facility here in Central Kentucky. It's a, a wonderful human interest story. I remember when you know it came up. I'm going to say it was about a year ago when I started reading about it, and I, and I just thought it was so great that he that he ended up down at Michael Blowen's face. Yeah, uh, place it, it, at, it's uh, a place really at old friends. Story. But it was the more I read about it because I hadn't known anybody. I didn't didn't realize how actually great the horse was and everything. And thank God that that woman got involved, or he would be under a parking lot. Yeah, he, he was the first horse to beat two Triple Crown winners. He beat Citation and Assault. Well, uh, what uh, what are you looking at for your timeline as far as publication on this book? The the goal is to get the book on the shelves by early fall before the Keeneland Fall meeting this year. Uh-huh. Oh, that's fantastic, Mel. Well, I'll be looking for it, and uh, hopefully uh, you, you ought to line up a book signing with Keeneland. That would be pretty cool. If, if nothing yeah, else, would. I know Michael Blowen will help you because he's a fantastic promoter down there at Old Friends. Yeah, he is. We're planning on probably having uh, you know, some sort of a, a book launch party there at Old Friends. That is sensational. I hope we are. Well, I, 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 wish, I wish you the best, and, and I hope our listeners will... will uh, Try to find out more about Dancer's Image uh, through the book that you wrote. I, I thank you, Milt, for taking the time out of your uh, your schedule. And I, are you still staying active in the photography business? Not as much. I, I, I've never embraced digital photography, so I'm still sort of at a standstill there. 
Well, uh, that part of the sport will we'll have to miss you, but we do appreciate all the work that you did back in, in, in the 70s and 80s. I was a big fan, and uh, I'm so glad you took time out of your busy schedule to speak with us tonight, Mel. Uh, it was my pleasure, John. I appreciate it. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Milton C. Toby, and that's what you can uh, www.if if you're interested in some of the works he's doing um, and the project coming up on NOR. Well, coming up next, it will be Jason Chandler. Uh, you've seen him talking horses uh, on the blood horse with my good buddy Tom Lamara. Uh, we're going to break down first the Fazzy Tipton Fountain of Youth, then the San Carlos, and then we're going to go way down yonder to New Orleans. You're listening to winningponies.com. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Fantasy Sports is where the action really is. Over 40 million people play Fantasy Sports, but rarely do they get to quiz the experts. Fantasy Insights is the name and the game. Tune in every week as Dish Adams and his guests clue you in on the fantasy football game, what's happening on and off the field, and how it will affect your fantasy team. These experts aren't just beat writers assigned to fantasy football. They live and breathe the game. Tune in to Fantasy Insights with Dish Adams every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Sports. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports... Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll free at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and I'm being joined by Jason Chandler from the Blood Horse. Uh, this is a man that has his pulse on racing, and I know that uh, one of his biggest assignments is covering the Triple Crown Trail. So we've got a couple races specific to that today. But uh, basically, what we want to know is Jason Chandler from the Blood Horse. How are you, and how did you get there? <laughs> how you doing, John? Thanks for having me. Um, I'm doing yeah. great. I, I just kind of wondering, you know, I, I love meeting, you know, people involved in racing from across the country on various levels, people like Milton Toby, people like yourself. And, and I always like to hear exactly what the hook was that got you involved in what I feel is the greatest sport on earth. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm from Philadelphia. I um, grew up a sports fan uh, my whole life and used to go to, to Philly Park on a regular basis. And I became a sports writer um, at a newspaper right outside of Philadelphia. I covered 
all sports, mainly you know football and baseball and basketball. But I did uh, horse racing, um, you know, on the side, and um, I was a, a correspondent for Blood Horse for a few years, thanks to to Tom Lamar. He's from my neck of the woods, and and um, you know when I started there, um, writing for the Blood Horse, Marty Jones and um, Barbara and a fleet Alex were all had Philadelphia connections, so I had kind of the inside track on on three um, you know really good uh, triple crown horses there, and then I I kind of used that to to write more and more for Blood Horse, and then I moved to Lexington full time in, in 2007, and uh, I've been at Blood Horse ever since. Oh, that's that's fantastic! You can t- tell that you, you've got the energy and the excitement to, to follow it. Now. Um, I won't say it's your specialty, but it seems like the assignment you have is uh, kind of circles around the three-year-old races. Yeah, I'm I'm the racing writer for the for the uh, website, and I cover racing all year round. But um, I do two blogs on on BloodHorse.com. I do Triple Crown Talk, which goes you know from the beginning of the year through you know, through the end of June, and then it switches over to, to Breeders' Cup chat in the second half of the year. So, um, but I, personally, I do enjoy the, the Triple Crown uh, the most, and, and, you know, it's fun kind of just, you know, seeing seeing how they develop, and everybody's got different opinions, and, and um, you know, I like, I really like talking to the trainers and kind of just, you know, getting their feedback and then, and then relaying it to the fans, and, and that's what people on the blog really seem to like is, is you know, give me some inside information on, on you know these trainers and, and the horses and, and their barns and how stuff operates. So that's what I like doing. Well, then you got to be excited about this season because this is pretty interesting. As you know, that the trend has has been to uh, bring courses up to the races, the big races with fewer races, and so all of a sudden there could be a star in the making at any point in time, you know. In this case, on Sunday, it could be discrete dancer for all we know. Um, it's a very exciting season. You know, we just previewed the uh, our uh, the Southwest Stakes. Uh, you know, we've still got some big races on, on the East and West Coast. Uh, there's a lot of parity out there this year, don't you think? Yeah, and, and you know, um, truth be told, the last couple of years at this point in the season, I, I didn't get the feeling that it was going to be a great, uh, season for three-year-olds, and, and that that turned out to be true, I think. And and I kind of got a different feeling at the beginning of this year. It seems like there's, like you said, there's a lot of parity, but there's also some horses that have, uh, you know, the looks of, of of being special. And obviously, Union Rags is one of those. And, and Todd Fletcher always has a bunch of horses. But yeah, I kind of got the feeling that that um, this year, uh, I'm not, not going to do anything crazy and predict a Triple Crown winner. But but I think I think you know. Just from top to bottom, the, the class looks a little bit deeper than than in years past. Just you know, if I if I can make that statement two months into the season, I just kind of get that feeling. I, I absolutely agree with you. And let me tell you, I don't think there could be a better kickoff than this first race we're going to talk about: the Fazic Tipton Fountain of Youth Grade Two. Obviously, these horses got to get their graded earnings up. There's four hundred thousand on the line, and two potentially three superstars. Are going to be in this field. Uh, a horse that many people thought was perhaps the best two-year-old uh, last year. Uh, Union Rags is going to be in there. Uh, then you've got this budding superstar in, in algorithms. Uh, Xavier Castellano cashing in his chips by saying he would ride this horse for Fletcher, who just had a huge holy bull. And, and again, the uh, 
the aforementioned discreet dancer who, in Pletcher's hand, could be any kind. I mean, it looks like that's my three-horse box. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to pay anything. Uh, my question is, in, in your observation of, of their development, uh, where are you leaning in the Fountain of Youth? Yeah, well, well first of all, before we break on the race, I, I want to say that I, I think, you know, it, it, it's late February, and, and you can't get too caught up on how important these races are because there's still a lot a lot of time to go. And, and Bob Baffert told me last week, even he doesn't know until the final prep if he really has a derby horse. So he can't he can't make too much of it. But that being said, I think this is the first real key weekend of the of the season between the Fountain Youth and, and the Risen Star. We have four or five horses that are ranked in most people's top top ten. And I think Union Rags and Algorithm are a lot of people's top two. So this race is really, or these two races are really going to tell us a lot about this class. Either one of these three horses that you mentioned runs away and, and kind of separates themselves, or if there's an upset, you know, it's one of these other horses in the field, it's kind of going to throw everything upside down. So it, it, it's a real key race. And you ask me which way I'm leaning, um, you know, I think... First of all, Todd Pletcher is winning at a forty percent clip at Gulfstream. I mean, he's just he's just doing things that, that nobody's ever done down there. So to have two of the top horses in this race, both of them with uh, wins over the track, uh, multiple wins over the track. Uh, Algorithms is two for two, and Discreet Dancer is two for two. They're they're undefeated, both of them. It's hard to look past them. As good as Union Rags is and might be, he's coming off a layoff. And I think Pletcher's two might be a little bit sharper. So if you ask me which right. way I'm leaning, I'm leaning towards Pletcher. <laughs> but having a hard time separating those two. Um, well, if you're going to ask me who I'm going to pick, I'm, no, I, I think I think discreet dancer. If you ask me who who I would pick, it, it would be him, and, and who I'm going to play. Um, you know, he's he's you know, class is the big test for him here. Algorithms have to win in the Holy Bowl and beat Hanson. You know, the reigning champion and, and a good horse, Maya Donis. And, you know, so class-wise, Algorithms definitely has the edge here over Discreet Dancer. But Discreet Dancer is, is faster, and he's going to be on the lead. And he, um, you know, set the, the five-and-a-half furlong track record at Gulfstream. He's just working lights out. Um, I think, you know, everybody says, well, he hasn't gone two turns, and, and, you know, it might be a whole different thing. Well, he won pretty easily at a mile, and... Pletcher said he galloped out like a monster. He looks like a horse that is not going to have any problems stretching out. A mile and a quarter, maybe. A mile and an eighth, maybe. A mile, the extra 16th of a mile, I don't think is going to be a problem with this horse. Um, so if he gets the lead and opens up to the top of the stretch, um, I think they're going to have a hard time catching him. Um, that's, that being said, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping Union Rags is all that he's, he's, you know, people are building him up to be. And I think he, he has potential to be a really special horse. It's just, and, and, and so if he, if he runs both of Pletcher's horses off their feet, you know, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised, but he's going to be probably odds on or, 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 you know, even money algorithms is going to be a short price and discreet dancer is going to be the third choice. And you're going to get this horse maybe at three to one or seven to two. And I'll try that all day coming off the two wins that, that he just had. Well, you know, it, it, it I would have to just say ditto on, on everything you said, but. You know, Union Rags is, is the one I think that uh, I'm going to be looking at the hardest because he he seems to be and, and always has been a horse that is rateable. 
And, you know, this time of year you get horses that get a little bit headstrong. Uh, just as you stated, the other two are going to be very fresh. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see if he can track that down. On the other hand, maybe Michael Matz is saying, you know, we've got enough graded stakes earnings. We don't have to kill Union Rags in, in the Fountain of Youth, and he wouldn't be the first trainer to do that. Yeah, he, he might not be fully cranked. Uh, on the other hand, he might be that good where he he doesn't have to be to, to win. We'll find out. But, um, you know, I always lean towards horses that are sharper or and, and that you know are in good form and that you know like the track. I mean, Union Rags has never run over the track, and he doesn't train over the track. And he might be that good where, where he doesn't need to. But the two Pletcher horses um, have... The, the, the top trainer there, they had the, the leading jockeys, uh, Castiano and Velasquez, or one, two in the standings. Um, it just, you know, for me, you know, I, you know, I think you, you look towards the people and the connections that have had success at that particular racetrack a little bit when when uh, when you're comparing, you know, kind of equal horses at this point. Um, you know. That being said, you know one of these other five horses might step up and, and run a huge race, and we, we might be looking at the we might be looking at the wrong horse. Uh, Casual Trick is a horse that, that uh, ran a clunker in an optional claimer last month, and you know Nick Zito was hoping he was uh, on track to be one of the favorites at this point. So maybe he he rebounds off a poor start, and um, you know Dale Romans has a, an intriguing horse in here that was a late entry, um, but. You know, it's hard to look past the, the three favorites here. All right. Well, again, we're with uh, Jason Chandler from the Blood Horse. We're going to take a quick look at the, uh, the the San Carlos at Santa Anita. We've only got about a minute and a half before our next break. But quite frankly, when you talk about not looking past horses, uh, this race, seven furlongs, a grade two, 200,000, brings together two of the fastest horses in the country, an Amazombie, whose last start was the Breeders' Cup Sprint, and the Factor, Obviously, it sounds like drill might be the new factor, but a horse that uh, Baffert realized this horse's limitations has uh, ratcheted him back down and realized that he's, he's a seven furlong horse. Uh, he's three for three at seven furlongs, and he's three for four at Santa Anita. Uh, can, can the factor uh, take on Amazombie, or you got another horse in the field? Actually, I, I, I do. I am taking another horse. It's just kind of cool, though. You got, you got the, the champion sprinter facing off against a factor who's just a brilliant speed horse. The factor hasn't really put together two uh, back-to-back winning efforts in, in, in a year, so uh, I'm going to try to beat him here. As good as he looked last time, um, you know, he, he doesn't run back-to-back races um, that often. Or at least he hasn't in the last year. Uh, it's, it's easy to pick him based off the, the Malibu. He looked, he just looked unbeatable. Him and Amazombie are razor sharp right now. I, of those two, I lean towards Amazombie uh, just because of you know I, I think he's 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 training so good right now. Uh, Mike Smith has had comments that that he's just he looks even better than last year. Um, you know, but but that being said, I'm going to go out on a limb here and try uh, Rolfko, who uh, finished second to uh, the Factor last time in the Malibu. He had an inside trip there and, and broke uh, inside of, of the speedy factor and and uh, was no match for him to stretch, but now he draws outside of him. Um, I think he's going to get a good setup here and, and sit right off of the factor of the speed. And, and uh, you know, I, I think he, he has a chance here with Rosario on him to, to pull an upset. Um, you know, Amazombie and the factor are not going to be any kind of price, so uh, I'm going to try to beat him here. All right, Jason Chandler from the Blood Horse giving us an upset pick 
in the San Carlos. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back with the Rachel Alexandra and the Risen Star from the fairgrounds. You're listening to WinningPonies.com. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, brought to you by Whitetails Extreme. This week we're talking predator hunting with Coyote Craze College's Jeff Nemanich, Commando Game Calls Matt Burton, plus we're a new new products designed for predator hunting from Fox Pro, Hunter Specialties, Ruger, and Federal Ammunition. All brought to you by Ram Trucks at RamTrucks.com. Wednesdays at 1 Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. I'm Jim Ferguson. I'll see you on the trail. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, joining me is Jason Chandler of the Blood Horse. And, Jason, uh, obviously people can, can read your blogs, they can read your articles, uh, but they can also see you on your website. Uh, for a guy that was always a newsprint guy up until the time he moved to Lexington, I'm guessing, um, was there any kind of uh, transition when all of a sudden they pointed a camera at you and Tom and whoever your third guest was and started saying, okay, boys, talk about horses? Yeah, I mean, it took it, it, it took me a while to get in fr- uh, comfortable in front of the camera and you know, we we just do a, a little uh, five six minute segment every Thursday um, called that handicapping show, and and uh, just we we preview two of the upcoming races, and you know, it, yeah, it was like anything. The more practice, the more you form, feel more comfortable. So, um, you know, it's something that that's fun, and and we don't. Tom and I are you know we're writers first and handicappers second. We don't consider ourselves you know pros by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, we just try to have fun with it. Well, you, you just tell Tom if he wants to credit anybody that, you know, it was all his appearances on the regular guy show with yours truly that kind of got him that comfort zone. So, you know, yeah, make, I know sure, he make sure you that. remind him of his roots. I will. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to kick off uh, two races that could have implications on uh, the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby. Um uh, a couple of years ago, I went down uh, to the, the uh, Louisiana Oaks, uh, the Fairgrounds Oaks, and a horse by the name of Rachel Alexandra was uh, the, the winner that day in the rain with Calvin Burrell up. And now we've got the 
Uh, Rachel Alexandra, it's a great tree going a mile and a sixteenth. So this one, on a day of uh, some great racing, they call it Louisiana Derby Preview Day. There'll be six races there. Um, I uh, could only pick two, but I think these are the two most significant on a national basis. Um, I guess the, the question in here is, um, is this a replay of the Silver Bullet Day, or is there a new player in town in a undefeated, very fast filly by the name of Applauding? Yeah, it's an interesting race. Uh, applauding, I was at Keeneland when she broke her maiden in her debut and set the six-long track record, which is unheard of for a debut filly. But, um, you know, she obviously has brilliant speed, uh, but, you know, she she missed uh, what would have been her last start. They, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know what, what happened to her. She was either sick or or uh, at, a, at a minor injury, but uh, I think was it about a colic or something like that. But um, I, I'm not going to pick her, you know, coming off of, uh, you know, the layoff against uh, horses that are that have already run this year and they're sharp. And I'm going to try to uh, turn the tables on, um, you know, in the um, – in the Silver Bowl day and pick uh, Summer Applause, who finished second to uh, to Believe You Can. You know, Brett Calhoun is, is such a solid trainer down there, and uh, this horse um, ran good in the in the Silver Bowl day and just um, just got out finished. And I'm looking for her to to turn it around here. She she has an optional cleaning win, uh, a big one over the track, and has had some bullet works over the track uh, on February 18th. She she ran uh, the best work of 62 that morning, and I, I think uh, Calhoun's going to have her uh, ready to turn the tables on Believe You Can, who, who drew the rail, and, and I'm not a fan of horses drawing the rail at, at fairgrounds. Well, uh, the, the thing about I uh, Believe You Can is, you know, you've you got you to keep up with the Joneses, and, uh, you know, Larry Jones is winning almost a 30% clip. Obviously, he and Burton Jones have uh, put together just a, an amazing relationship over over the years. I'm a huge Larry Jones fan. And while the rail could be a little bit dead there, the good thing is I, I think Believe You Can ha- has enough early speed and uh, c- comes into this race off a very strong uh, number in, in the Silver Bullet Day. I, I think Rosie can get this horse out and perhaps off the rail if, if, if it is playing dead. I mean, in Louisiana, you don't know. You could get a monsoon an hour before the race. So, uh, yeah, well, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be a believer, and I'm going to go with I believe you can. Okay, well, you know, I, I, you make good points. I, I think she's going to face a little bit more pressure with applauding here, um, and, and it might set up for, for somebody just off. But like you said, Larry's is so hot right now, and, and uh, Rosie's such a good rider that uh, – wouldn't shock me if Believe You Can won again. Well, we have a very similar scenario uh, coming in to, to the Risen Star. And just as we said, is the Rachel Alexandra uh, the, the replay of the Silver Bullet Day? The question is, is the Risen Star, grade two, 300,000, a mile and a 16th, is this a replay of the LeCompte? I'm not so sure because there's a new guy in town by the name of L. Padrino that brings some pretty good credentials and seems to get a lot of press box chatter. Yeah, well, again, you have a another Pletcher horse who's uh, you know he's got four or five of the top contenders right now, and everybody that I've talked to who's kind of in the know um, thinks that this is is Pletcher's uh, top derby horse, uh, even even more so than Algorithms or uh, Discreet Dancer. Um, maybe not at a mile and a sixteenth, and maybe not in this race per se, but 
Um, looks like he'll, he'll has the best chance of getting a mile and a quarter. Um, for this race, um, he'll definitely be favored. Um, Castellano is going to fly out from Florida for, for the race. And, um, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to pick against his horse as much as, as Putcher saying and how good he looks. And um, So I'll, I'll pick him on top tentatively, but I, I like a couple other horses in here too. Um, who, do you, who do you like, first of all? Um, well, I, I, well, who do I like? Again, my, my heart goes to Larry Jones. I'm Mr. Bowling. That, that was a game, game race. But I'll tell you what, shared property was, was closing pretty good in that race and I uh, had a real wide trip that afternoon. Um, I, I think El Padrino's the horse to beat. Uh, but I think, uh, any one of those horses that are coming out of the LeCompte, uh, you know, Z Dagger, uh, Mr. Bowling, uh, shared property, you know, might round out the, the try on the bot on the bottom because I, I too have heard the buzz uh, on El Padrino, but I, I, I want you always seem to be able to, to to find the the one that's out there that people haven't been talking about, and I want to know yeah. who it is. Well, I'm with you on Z Dagger. I mean, I think he's he's he had a much worse trip and, and tougher trip than than Mr. Bowling uh, last time as the share property. So. I like both of those horses over Mr. Bowling this time. Larry Jones, actually, I think, from what I've heard, is actually higher on Mark Tolesky, uh the other coupled entry here. He, he thinks this horse has more of a chance to stretch out. Uh, maybe Again, maybe not for this race, but maybe for, for Louisiana Derby. Um, this Mark Tolesky is one to, to keep your eye on. He's uh, going around two turns for the first time, but he's training lights out and has two sprint wins over the track. So, um, that, you're not going to get a price there because it's a coupled entry with, with Mr. Bowling. But, um, you know, price horse, um, Tom, we just talking about Tom Lamar. He, he likes Afford, uh, the, the, the three horse, uh, Ford or Afford, however you pronounce it, um, who's also has an optional claiming winner at Fairgrounds. Um, but I, I'm going kind of chalky here. I, I kind of like Al Padrino with, with the coupled entry and then, and then Z Dagger, like you said, to maybe round out. Um, but I'm really looking for the Z Dagger down the road to, to, to be something. I like, I like Asmussen. He's got three pretty solid horses, uh, on the Derby trail right now. And this is one of them. Well, Jason, listen, I want to just thank you for, uh, for taking the time out of your day. I want to remind people if they go to uh, bloodhorse.com and, of course, if they buy Bloodhorse Publications, uh, they're going to be able to uh, see you and read you. Yeah, I appreciate you having us. And, and uh, you know, we, we, one other thing I want to mention, we, we just came out with a, a downloadable 60-page report called uh, Triple Crown Preview uh, at bloodhorse.com that you can buy. And it's got uh, uh, a page on every of the top 40 contenders that me and Steve Haskin have uh narrowed down to right now and uh it's got everything the brisk pps dosage reports and, and trunix uh, uh pedigree four cross pedigree so you can you can go to uh, bloodhorse.com tomorrow and, and uh, check that out if you want to get a head start on the triple crown season which is only uh, two months away now but thanks for having okay, me well, appreciate listeners it. of winning ponies do want to get a head start and we thank you ladies and gentlemen from the blood horse jason chandler well that pretty much closes out another show we hope we put you on some winners. Remember, dial in the winning ponies and pick up some of the great products and services uh, because they can put you on as many winners as Jason and I can. A big, big weekend of racing. We only scratched the surface. So I hope you all have a fantastic uh, weekend. Uh, again, I want to thank uh, 
uh, brother Dan's of Port Charlotte for, for cateringwinningponies.com tonight. I want to thank my personal physician, Dr. Fager, for helping me out with my voice problem, and, of course, our producer, Matt Widener. Well, overlooking the Gulf of Mexico to uh, uh, beautiful Key West, thanks for tuning in to Winning Ponies, and remember, ladies and gentlemen, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.